From the Valley of the Sun in Phoenix, Arizona, welcome to episode 240 of the What is Truth Catholic podcast. My name is Deacon Steve, and I'm a permanent deacon in the Diocese of Phoenix. I hope your Easter season is filled with the grace of our risen Lord. No matter what challenges we face, we never have to despair. We just need to take a deep breath and turn our challenges over to our Lord who is with us, and who will help us carry our burdens in love of him, and by his grace, unite them to the sufferings of Christ. May our Lord give us the faith to never lose hope, as our risen Lord is with us always. In episode 240 of the What is Truth Catholic podcast, we will first discuss our Saint of the Week, Saint Pius V a pope who led the implementation of the response to the Protestant Reformation. We hear a homily for the fourth Sunday of Easter, as Jesus tells us that he is the Good Shepherd. In the segment, Catholics in the News, we will learn about a nun who served as a missionary. In the segment, Truth in the Media, we discover a surprising YouTube creator. In the segment entitled, I don't get it, I will try to understand a recent grant given to an organization. Finally, during our Truth Topic of the Week, we will hear the truth from a cardinal about the reality of death. All of this plus music from Paul Baloche and Meredith Andrews, who sing, How Great is the Love. This and more on episode 240 of What is Truth? Saint of the Week. This is the Pope whose job it was to implement the historic Council of Trent. During his papacy, 1566 to 1572, St. Pope Pius V was faced with the almost overwhelming responsibility of getting a shattered and scattered church back on its feet. The family of God had been shaken by corruption, by the Reformation, by the constant threat of Turkish invasion, and by the bloody bickering of the young nation-states. In 1545, the previous pope convened the Council of Trent in an attempt to deal with all of those pressing problems. Off and on over 18 years, the Church Fathers discussed, condemned, affirmed, and decided upon a course of action. The Council closed in 1563. Pius V was elected in 1566 and charged with the task of implementing the sweeping reforms called for by the council. No mean feat. He ordered the founding of seminaries for the proper training of priests. He published a new missal, a new breviary, a new catechism, and established the Confraternity of Christian Doctrine, CCD, classes for the young. Pius zealously enforced legislation against abuses in the church. He patiently served the sick and the poor by building hospitals, providing food for the hungry, and giving money customarily used for papal banquets to poor Roman converts. His decision to keep wearing his Dominican habit 
led to the custom up to this day of the Pope wearing a white cassock. Striving to reform both church and state, Pius encountered vehement opposition from England's Queen Elizabeth and the Roman Emperor Maximilian II. Problems in France and in the Netherlands also hindered Pius's hope for a Europe united against the Turks. Only at the last minute was he able to organize a fleet which won a decisive victory in the Gulf of Lepanto, off Greece, on October 7, 1571. Pius's ceaseless papal quest for a renewal of the Church was grounded in his personal life as a Dominican friar. He spent long hours with God in prayer, fasted rigorously, deprived himself of many customary papal luxuries, and faithfully observed the spirit of the Dominican rule that he had professed. His feast day is April 30th. St. Pius V, who defended the church despite great opposition, our saint of the week. Homily of the Week. Today's homily is based on the readings for the fourth Sunday of Easter, as Jesus tells us that he is the Good Shepherd. Who are we? If I could ask each of you to tell me who you are, you might say something like, I'm a man or a woman, how old you are, what you do for a living, what your race or ethnicity is. Hopefully you say you're a Catholic. Who are we? going to focus on these readings for the fourth Sunday of Lent on our second reading, which I generally don't do, where in 1 John, we hear that we are children of God, children of God. And we are, we are adopted children of God. So I think the question that I am feel challenged to think about and challenge all of us to think about is do we recognize that we're children of God? And do we actually act in the world as if we are? Often, we are incredibly self-absorbed. Absorbed with what we have to do, our problems, our enjoyments, our work, our retirement, our whatever it is, our golf game, whatever it may be. And we are so self focused that we often don't recognize that we're a child of God and the world that we're living in now is only a temporary kind of stop along the way. Often we don't recognize our united, you know, being children of God because we are living not in the united world, but as divisive and divided people. We live in a world of us against them, those people, whoever they are. And we live in a culture that is truly divisive. It's competitive. It allows or works to raise us up, which means other people have to go down. When we use those language like those people, how come they don't learn English or those people, you know, blah, 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 blah. 
we are not living as children of God. And sometimes we do recognize that we're children of God. That's great. But we limit it to the group that we inhabit. So I'm a white male. So for example, I could say, well, of course we're children of God. All us white males or white people are children of God and act as if other people aren't. We do this more frequently than we may be aware. And when we're living this way, we're not truly, are we, being children of God. And yet, my brothers and sisters, that's what we are. That's what we're called to be. That's where the good shepherd that we hear in our gospel is leading us to be his beloved children. How do we do that? What does that mean first, and how do we do it? Well, it means that we must be Christ-focused, not self-focused. Our lives can't be about us if we are to live the call to be children of God. Our lives are a gift. They're not ours. We're stewards of it, but it doesn't belong to us because we didn't create ourselves last I checked. So that means we must be focused on Jesus. It means that we must be on this planet as children of God to unite people to one another, not divide people, to see differences as opportunities to be one people, not opportunities that create division between people. And we must remember that children of God does not belong to one race or one ethnicity. It's for every human being ever created or ever will be created. We are all made, all of us, no matter what color, what language we speak, irrelevant. We are all born and made in the image and likeness of God, period. We are all God's children. So how do we live as children of God? Well, Christ tells us by giving our life to him. Jesus said in the gospel for this week, I am the good shepherd. I lay down my life for my sheep. We as the sheep of God must lay down our lives for him. That means loving Christ above all else and loving our brothers and sisters as children of God as we love ourselves. So my brothers and sisters, as we continue the journey through Easter, let us pray that we will recognize our being children of God, that that call really pushes us and challenges us to be a people who are united, a people that are focused on God, not ourselves, and a people called to be Christ's disciples, going into the world to share the love of Christ, to share the sacrifice of Christ, to share the mercy of Christ so that those we encounter will see that we love them and that we are all truly children of God. And now let us listen to Paul Beloche and Meredith Andrews who sing How Great is the love. 
Thank you for the way that you love us, how you love us. Thank you for the way you have made us. We were created for your pleasure. Your presence for the glory of your name. Thank you for the way that you love us. Jesus, faithful King, Lord, with grateful hearts we sing.
Catholics in the news. Married old sister Janice McLaughlin, who ministered in Southern Africa for nearly 40 years and later became president of her religious order, died recently in Maryknoll, New York, at age 79. No cause of death was given. Born in Pittsburgh, her mission vocation was stimulated by pictures of giraffes and National Geographic, and she somehow knew that Africa would be her destiny. Maryknoll father Joe Healy, a close collaborator with McLaughlin, said, Sister Janice went to Kenya in 1969 to serve in the Social Communications Department of the Kenya Catholic Conference of Bishops. We worked together for over 50 years throughout Eastern Africa, he said. We shared a passion to train Africans in the different media of social communications and to hand over our ministries to the local church. The bulk of Sister McLaughlin's ministry in Africa was spent in Zimbabwe. She arrived there in 1977 when it was still known as Rhodesia. After the country won independence from England in 1969, the government proposed a constitution asserting white supremacy and restricting the work of religious groups. Church officials opposed the document and spoke out for the nationalist movement. Many church people were killed in the war. One bishop and 25 missioners, McLaughlin said in a 1990s interview. For her part, three months after arriving in the country to work as a press secretary, she was arrested for writing about the country's liberation struggle. She was put in solitary confinement for 18 days and charged with being a communist subversive. Jail, she said, was her novitiate. Despite being in solitary confinement, Sister McLaughlin later said, I was not alone. I was with the oppressed people and God was there with us in our prison cells. She was eventually expelled and returned to the U.S. Back in her home country, McLaughlin wrote a book entitled On the Front Line, Catholic Missions in Zimbabwe's Liberation War. She returned to the country, which had then been renamed Zimbabwe, when Rhodesia's white leaders ceded power to the, to the black majority in 1980. Eight years later, when Sister jo when St. John Paul II visited Zimbabwe, she served as an extraordinary minister of Holy Communion when the Pope celebrated Mass there. Besides Zimbabwe and Kenya, McLaughlin also ministered in Nambia and Mozambique. She served one term as president of the Mary Knoll Sisters starting in 2009. During her tenure, the order experienced a jump in vocations. In the last 20 years, our members are coming from all over the world, so it's much more of a global face. So the countries to which we used to send missionaries, she said in 2014. She remarked how wonderful it was to see people cross boundaries and become home in each other's culture and serve people of other culture. Her last project in Zimbabwe was to stop human trafficking. She spoke of this ministry, done through the African Forum for Catholic Social Teaching that was founded in 2002 to focus on domestic issues in nine African nations. She wrote that she wanted to educate communities so that they are aware of human trafficking, the risks that young people are at, especially given the economic difficulties in Zimbabwe. 
A lot of people simply expect that their young that young people or children will have a better life in the city, but a lot then happens to them after they leave their rural areas. That is another form of trafficking that is ignored, which is labor trafficking as well as sex trafficking. The borders are very porous and there's so much corruption, she added. A 2015 conference on trafficking brought about the book The Scourge of Human Trafficking, Modern-Day Slavery. Of those women who escaped labor trafficking and returned to Zimbabwe, McLaughlin said, they are blossoming, blossoming, they are helpful, they are hardworking. There is a real interest in this issue, and we have educated a lot of people through our workshops and outreach. Sister Janice McLaughlin, who spent her life serving the poor and the exploited in Africa. This week's Catholics in the News. Truth in the Media Father Alberto Ravignani didn't set out to make a viral video. He's just trying to find a way to stay connected to the kids who attend his youth ministry program in his parish after Italy went into lockdown mode because of coronavirus in March 2020. The 27-year-old priest had never edited a video before, and he really posted on social media. It was an experiment, he said. I wanted to make something nice and useful to fill these two weeks, so what I thought of at a time of closure would be but the closure was extended. Father Ravignani said the priest's first YouTube video, which was uploaded on March 14, 2020, was entitled Praying in the Time of Coronavirus. It quickly rose in views as it was shared across social media and messaging apps. His second video, which was about how 10 minutes of silence can change your day, was uploaded the following day and has been viewed more than 50,000 times. Seeing that videos were reaching people, he said he would continue. Father Ravignani said, I didn't expect all of this because it wasn't the objective. I wasn't trying to get a lot of views. But when it happened, the priest said he realized that this could be a way to communicate with young people in a creative way. And he had fun making the videos. All of Ravignani's videos, to date 46 of them, have gained tens of thousands of views, several hundreds of thousands of views. They touch on topics such as the existence of God, video games, happiness, and why to pray the rosary. In the videos, Don Alberto, as he's known in Italy, speaks quickly and has an engaging energy, which is coupled with fast-paced editing. And he does not enjoy euphemisms, using language familiar to today's adolescents and teens in each of his frenetic videos. For example, a seven-minute video on pornography uploaded to YouTube in October of last year is his most watched, with almost 400,000 views. Father Ravignani, ordained in 2018, is assigned to the parish of St. Michael the Archangel in Busto Azizio, a town around 83,000 people just north of Milan, Italy. He is responsible for the parish's large youth oratory where he lives. There he works with around 100 youth from elementary through high school. Speaking about his vocation as a priest, he said, 
in the midst of my faults, my limitations, my weaknesses, I know that that's where the Lord has planted me. I can bring forth fruit. Already I have seen some fruit, and I realize my life is for doing this. Now I feel very happy, really, because I've found my place in the world, he said. Father Alberto Ravignani, spreading the faith on YouTube. This week's Truth in the Media. The American Civil Liberties Union, ACLU, has received a major donation from a billionaire heir whose LGBTQ activism includes both funding for efforts to limit religious freedom and funding for Christian groups, including Catholic dissenters, that want to change the church teaching on marriage and sexual morality. The donation of $15 million from John L. Stryker and his same-sex spouse is the largest LGBTQ-focused grant in ACLU history. The organization will rename its LGBTQ and HIV project for the two men. This giving includes millions of dollars in grants, specifically earmarked to promote limits on religious freedom. We'll use this generosity to change the law and to create a culture where discrimination against LGBTQ people is unfathomable, the ACLU says. They understand that as long as the LGBTQ people can be used as fodder for political attacks, that our entire community will be vulnerable to discrimination. So let me get this straight. A billionaire and his same-sex spouse is donating millions of dollars to advance the LGBTQ agenda and attach and attack church teachings, saying that church teachings are discriminatory. And attacking the teachings of the church is not discriminatory? Really? No way! I don't get it! Truth Topic of the Week By forcing the world to see the reality of death, COVID-19 pandemic also gives people an opportunity to reflect on what is truly important in life, the preacher of the papal household recently told Pope Francis in his aides. The thought of death prevents us from attaching ourselves to things, from staring down here at the abode of the heart, forgetting that we have no stable abode down here, said Cardinal Raniero Cantalamessa. He went on to say that death is the end of all differences and injustices that exist between men and women. And he insisted that looking at one's life from the point of view of death is an extraordinary help to help us live well. Are you distressed by problems and difficulties? Go ahead. Get right to the point, he said. Look at these things as if this is your last day on earth. How would you like to have acted then? What importance would you give to these things? Do you have a conflict with someone? Look at it from the point of view that you're going to die tomorrow. What would you have wanted to do then? To have won? 
to have humiliated yourself, to have prevailed, or to have and be forgiven. People, he continued, should not fear physical death, but rather eternal death, which is the only thing that really deserves the name of death, because unlike physical death, it's not a passage in Easter, but a terrible end of the line. It is to save men and women from this misfortune that we must return to preach death to Christians, he said. Reflecting on the institution of the Eucharist, Cardinal Cantalamessa said that the Church instituted the sacrament not only to unite us to himself, but also because it is the truest, fairest, and most effective way to prepare ourselves for death. In it, we also celebrate our own death and offer it day by day to the Father. In the Eucharist, we can bring up to the Father our Amen, our Yes, to what awaits us, to the kind of death that he will allow us to have. In it, we make it a will. We decide that to whom we leave our lives on this earth and for whom we will die. Cordero Cantalamessa, telling us the truth about death. Our truth topic of the week. Well, we have finished episode 240 of the What is Truth Catholic podcast. Uh, Before we wrap up, just want to alert you to a podcast I'd like you to check out. I'll tell you more about it, I hope, in our next episode, episode 241. It is called Strange Catholics, and it's actually um, run or done by two deacons and one deacon who's, well, a person who's almost a deacon, he's in formation. And guess what? A few weeks ago, yours truly was a guest on Strange Catholics. So if you want to hear that episode, just go to your podcast player, type in Strange Catholics, and look for the episode entitled, uh, I think, something like Conversation with Deacon Stephen or something like that. And you can hear my interview with those gentlemen. Anyway, we'll talk more about that in a later podcast. Let us end this one. Anyway, if you have any feedback about the podcast you wish to share, please email me at deaconstevew at gmail.com. As we continue our Easter journey, let us pray to continue to be an Easter people, a people of hope and love. Let us pray. Lord, help us to discern the truth, the truth you call us all to live. Help us to live in this truth so that we can be, as you created us to be, truly free. And let us ask Our Lady's help in this journey. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now, and at the hour of our death. Amen. Until next time, God willing, this is Deacon Steve. I invite you to join me as we discover together what is truth.